Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. Fresh from his game-changing journey of epic proportions as Mr. Eligible searching for his soulmate, global sensation Goff of BeerNutsProductions.com is back on Getting Work to Work to talk all about his latest film, Mr. Eligible. In this conversation, he naturally shares all the behind-the-scenes stories from the set, not to mention what made this film his most ambitious production yet. He shares about the challenges in casting a diverse group of women, what it takes to film a 41-minute film in one day, how many hours of reality TV he watched in preparation for this production, and of course, what makes Al Gibson special. Most importantly, he answers the most shocking question ever asked in the history of the world. Who would lie on reality TV? The answer will shock you. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 695. All right, Goff. I mean, welcome back, I guess, to Getting Work to Work. This is like your hundredth episode with us. Yes, I thought there would be a cake. You've let everybody down, Chris. It's, uh, <laughs> But no, thank you. Thank you, as always, for having me back on. It's very kind that you keep letting me appear on your, your podcast. Absolutely. I mean, the cake would be... I don't know, rotten or dead by the time it showed up. Can a cake die? Well, I suppose it depends. Uh, depends. Wasn't there, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't someone find like a McDonald's burger from like 1986 stashed away in somebody's back cupboard and it still looked like it was good to eat because there's that many preservatives in it? Is that a thing? I'm sure that's a thing. That needs to be Googled and someone can email in. But uh, I'm pretty sure that that's a thing that actually happened for real. But uh, my point being is, depending on the ingredients, I'm sure a cake would travel just nicely and I would happily eat it. As cake, cake is my favorite food group. <laughs> cake is the only food group. And I and I believe it was <laughs> the documentary Super Size Me. They do a French fry test where they show how <laughs> The French fries age over time, or don't. Yes. Yeah. Actually, I remember watching that film when it came out. I was in Canada, and I, I, I there was a cinema near the Backpackers, and uh, they would play movies that were like two months old. So it was like films that were just out of the cinema, and it would only cost like two bucks to go <laughs> in and watch the movie. So it was like you're getting a cinema experience for cheap prices, and the film's only like two months old, so who cares, right? So, exactly. uh, yeah, but that's that's where I watched uh, Super Size Me. There's a fun fact. <laughs> you have quite the memory. Can, you, you can remember everything about your life, can't you? Yes, yes, I can. My very first memory was bungee jumping. <laughs> you get it? Because it's the umbilical cord? Do you get what I'm saying? Oh, I, I, had, to, I had to, like, take a breath there. It was... Yeah, I yeah, I got it. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> There's a Rodney Dangerfield joke. Let's see if I can remember it. Uh, when I was born, I was so ugly that when the doctor cut the umbilical cord, he hung himself. Uh, you have an encyclopedia knowledge of all things comedy, don't you, my friend? <laughs> I, I, I kind of do. I'm a I'm a nerd, but that's just uh, that's just how I roll, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, you're back to promote your latest film, Mr. Eligible. What's it like to uh what's it like for your ego to write a film that's really centered around 
you being surrounded by, you know, 18 beautiful women? Well, at the time, it sounded like a fabulous idea, but uh, practically, maybe not so much. But um, no, 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 I'm, I'm only joking. It's essentially, the film, uh, like you say, it's a, it's a, a mock uh, of the TV reality show format, especially sort of the Bachelor kind of format where I am uh, Mr. Eligible and I have 16 delightful ladies in which to uh, to choose from. And, of course, we have the a host and a producer that keep sticking their nose in as well. And so, yeah, essentially I'm just taking that uh, Bachelor-type uh, TV show and uh, ripping it to bits, just giving it the old beer nuts treatment. <laughs> How many hours of reality TV, all of The Bachelor, did you have to watch to really capture the essence of the show? Uh, zero. Uh, so I, I would prefer to I would prefer to eat rusty razor blades than sit through five <laughs> minutes of The Bachelor or any reality TV show. I essentially, I mean, over the years, I've seen like little clips here and there, and I've obviously seen uh, promotional material like on TV and TV ads and advertisements and all that sort of stuff so i've actually never actually sat through an episode to be honest i just it was like all the stuff that i've heard about and sort of seen through promos because uh, that's really enough really the, let's be honest i'm not being mean but the 30 second promo pretty much is the show there's not much more to it so you pretty much know what's going on through the the ads that, that you see so I essentially took uh, what little knowledge I had of that genre. But to be honest, it, it, while it is making fun of that genre, it's also making fun probably more so of the idiots that go on those shows. So it's kind of a mix of making fun of everything about that sort of a program, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And and it's funny because as you were describing that you can tell the the whole genre based upon a 30-second clip, it's like the cliche within the cliche and so it's it, it's like you could almost just like write a whole list of cliches and it would work in that context well yeah kind of so yeah when i it's funny actually when i was writing the script uh i knew what i wanted to do obviously uh and i just didn't want to stop like it, it, <laughs> it, it was the first time where i've actually had to physically stop myself from writing because i'm like there were so many more things that I wanted to do. And I'm like, I'll, I'll never get all of this filmed in the time period. I'm going to have to actually literally stop. So uh, because otherwise I could have just gone on forever because it's just so easy to mock and make fun of because it's so ridiculous. So, uh, yeah. So I just essentially when I was writing it, I, I knew I needed to have quite a few women. So usually my understanding is they usually have about 24 contestants. I thought that was going to be too many. Uh, so I went with 16 and then it was just developing like different. They all needed to be crazy people, but they needed to be crazy in their own way. They couldn't <laughs> all be the same. So they all have different elements of crazy about them. So, uh, so yeah, that that's pretty much. So that was sort of my guideline and it's pretty much just go from there. How do you develop the the list of crazy? Because you're absolutely right. I mean, all 16 were so different with what, they were known for in the movie yes yeah no um well essentially it's well i need a girl to be this kind of a girl then i need a girl to be that kind of a girl so some were more uh distinct than others like i thought it would be 
uh, funny to have one that's uh, bad at her job at being a secret government agency spy type person. I thought that was just a funny concept. Uh, but then you've got others that are more cliche, like uh, you've got Courtney who played Cindy, who's the uh, the like real bitchy. She's a stripper. She's like super bitchy. And then you've got her competing with another girl who's got a sugar daddy who's super bitchy, you know. So those are probably a bit more cliche. But then you've got, uh, obviously, we have a deaf actress in this and her interpreter. So I thought getting them having a, a nice back and forth together would be fun. So, you know, because having a deaf person, I thought, is funny because the producers of reality TV show are stupid and they would put a deaf person on with a blind person because they're that ignorant they wouldn't understand that that's a bad idea so they just think all disabilities are the same because they're morons so you know it was essentially yeah so once i had my 16 uh different person different ladies with their different sort of uh quirk slash personality types then it was just uh putting them into different conversations and scenarios <laughs> are, when you're writing this stuff are you just cracking up as you're writing it it would be funny, actually, to have a, a, a camera on me. I think there's probably not so much laughter as much of a smug satisfaction smile going on because I'm quite, quite pleased with myself when I come up with something suitably inappropriate and hilarious at the same time. <laughs> the first thing I actually thought of when I saw the deaf actress was the See No Evil, Hear No Evil movie with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. Do you remember that? I, I vaguely, I can't bring it a thousand percent to mind. I, I know of it, obviously, and I'm pretty sure I have seen it when I was a lot younger, but I can't, yes, I can't quite bring it to mind. Yeah, it's just that idea of like Richard Pryor's blind and Gene Wilder's deaf. And so you have a lot of that kind of deaf blind kind of banter back and forth. And that was yeah, the yeah. first thing I thought of that when, when I saw that unfold. Well, yeah, well, I didn't go necessarily down that path. I thought it would be funnier to have the interpreter who uh, is, uh, it was funny actually, because Tegan, who played her, is a really super human being. I really like Tegan. I'll happily work with her again. She she was great. Uh, and I had to do lots of rehearsals with her because obviously she's had no experience with the deaf community at all. And so we had to teach her a little bit of signing, but also um, her number one note, and she actually wrote it uh, on, across the top of the script, was, I am the world's worst interpreter. So that was her like number one note. Is that an instance where that's the actor bringing something beyond the script that makes it special? Well, no, no. I told her that she was the world's worst interpreter. That's That was the main oh. bit of direction that she had. And uh, I had to make sure when I spoke to Ashley, who was the deaf actress, I had to be really clear because obviously uh, if... Ashley didn't have a sense of humor and understood what I was going for in the script. Uh, she could take it the wrong way, obviously, because the interpreter's behavior is so atrocious that, you know, it, unless it's explained to the deaf actress properly, she could be like, that's not cool. You know, that's, but once she understood, I mean, well, she understood it anyway. When she read the script, she was 100% on board. I just reiterated to her, you know, what the situation was and, and why. I've gone down this uh, path and she was 100% on board. She thought it was hilarious. So, but yeah, she's like, um, the first thing she said to me was if an interpreter acted like that in real life, they wouldn't last two minutes in their job. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm aware. So yeah. So, <laughs> but, uh, 
uh, Tegan was really great because it would have been quite challenging because she she's a she's only just graduated from uh, NIDA, I think she went to. So she's only just graduated and done only a few little acting things. So it would have been quite a challenging role for her sort of first up. And she absolutely crushed it. I thought she was really great. So, um, yeah, it was a, a credit to her. But, um, yeah, World's Worst Interpreter was the number <laughs> one piece of direction and the note on top of her script. That's so brilliant. And it, it also speaks to there's a lot of diversity in this film as well across all of the different women. So not only do you have a deaf actress, you have a black actress and you have so many different varieties of, of women uh, that is different than, you know, a, a typical beer nuts production. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It was. And, and look, it was uh, difficult uh, to cast. There's no question about that. I mean, uh, I have found out that uh, black actresses just don't grow on trees uh, where I'm at. They, they're hard to find and, and hard to find. Like I went through a few that just weren't sort of getting it. And then uh, uh, <laughs> then the lady who played Megan came in and she just uh, crushed it right off. Uh, there was very little direction she needed because, again, the, my scripts are very clearly written. So once Aurora saw the script, she knew immediately what was required. She came in and she just crushed it straight up. She was super cool. So, yeah, and uh, she brought the sass, which was required, and she was great. You know, the, the others weren't kind of understanding the uh, the sass that was required with that character. But, you know, uh, Aurora gave the good eye rolls and all of that sort of stuff that was uh, required and the attitude. And, yeah, she, she was super cool. But, uh, yeah, it is a very diverse sort of cast and it was very difficult to cast for a lot of reasons uh firstly uh the kind of script and film that it is uh there were some that didn't get it uh so they were you know awfully offended and they didn't want to have any part of it at all uh also the thing that also set me back was uh, a lot of the actresses that i usually work with they no longer live around this area there's been a uh, there's one that's over in LA now. There's one that's in Vancouver uh, doing Netflix stuff. There's one in Tokyo that's just got an 18-month contract at Tokyo Disney. Uh, Matilda's down in Melbourne doing theatre. Tilly's moved down to Sydney. So there's just a whole bunch of them that have just left. So I was calling people up and they're like, yeah, we'd love to, but don't live here anymore. So it put me in the position where I had no choice but to hire new actors. So then I had to sort of uh, put out the call for auditions. And then some of the roles were really, really tricky to fill. I mean, uh, the role of Melissa, who's the, uh, the one, the, uh, the, the real, uh, the one in the white dress who is so overly lovely and sweet and incredible and is a human rights lawyer and, and goes out and saves whales and whatnot. Uh, that role <laughs> yes, the intruders. Yes, she uh, she was really difficult to cast that role because again, a lot of girls weren't getting it, so it was super difficult to get an actress that understood what was needed. And also, the other thing too is there's a lot of overacting in this film, which is required because without the overacting, it just simply is not funny. And I would use the example to a lot of the actresses, which fell flat because they actually there's two things that one you'll actually really like, but um. The first example I would give that would always fall flat because none of them were as old as me uh, was I said, think about Al Bundy in Married with Children. <laughs> now, 
Ed O'Neill overacted atrociously, but that's what made it funny. If he played that straight or didn't overact, it wouldn't have been funny. It's as simple as that. So you've got to overact. And then when we were doing the big group, because uh, we did, I did lots and lots of rehearsal time with all the actors. Uh, and the day before the shoot, we did an all-in group rehearsal. So uh, I used a phrase, and I thought of you immediately, actually, Chris, in Ooh. all seriousness, I really did, because I remember a few interviews ago, I said something, and you had a bit of a chuckle, and you just turned to me and you said, Goff, you've got a phrase for every occasion, don't you? <laughs> and, uh, uh, and like, I just think I'm speaking like a normal person, but apparently not. So <laughs> when... When I was doing this group rehearsal, one of the girls, she needed to be, she needed to give it some more. So I said to her, that was great, but can you put a bit more mayonnaise on it? And she's like, mayonnaise? What are you talking about? And I said, well, you've never heard that phrase before? She's like, no. I said, more mayonnaise. You've got to, more, I need, you know. And the other girls are going, no one, no one here has heard of that phrase ever before. That's, that's not a thing. And I'm like, yeah, you got to put more mayonnaise on it. So there you go. So you're not the only one who thinks I come out with the uh, weird phrases. Apparently, all the actors do as well. But uh, she put more mayonnaise on it, and it was perfect. So all good. A little, little bit more creamy, a little bit more zippy. Yeah, you got to put more mayonnaise on it. You know, turn it up. You know, give it more. So when you're in that position to find new actors to work with, how do you go through? through that process since a lot of the talent agents you know have you know a stick up their butt yeah it's a nightmare it's an absolute nightmare so i actually <laughs> i got well some people would say i got in trouble but i don't see it that way i just do what i need to do so i'm always of that opinion with i mean you know me quite well now we've spoken so many times and uh, there's been a lot of times like even through covid you know i spoke about how i had to pivot and whatnot and it's the same thing with this. I do what I need to do to make it happen how I want it to happen because there's a lot of money that goes into making Like This was a very expensive film to make. And so, you know, I'm not going to hire an actress who I don't think is going to be right for the part. And if so, I do what I need to do. So there was a, a, one particular agent who shall remain nameless uh, refused to send me talent because they didn't uh, appreciate the material. Now, my counter-argument is that it's really not her decision to make. Her actors can make the decision whether they want to audition or not. I said to her that she was a facilitator and a middleman, and she didn't like that very much, but it's the truth. Anyway, so when she refused to send talent, I said, okay, that's fine. Don't send talent. I'll just go onto your website, which is what I did, as she's got all of her talent listed on her website. And I looked through all of her talent individually and I just went through, I picked out the ones who had good showreels and whatnot and I contacted them directly. And when they asked me why I was contacting them directly, I told them the truth. I said, well, your agent wouldn't submit, which is why I'm now contacting you directly. So that's, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. So that was just with one particular agent. I didn't do that with all of them. There's a couple of agencies that are really fantastic and do send me talent and send me really great talent. So they're, I don't want people to think I do that with everybody. I mean, it was just that situation with that particular agent. And so one or two of the actors that are in this film, that's how they came to audition. I saw their reels on the website. I contacted them directly. Uh, they came in for an audition. They did a great audition and they got the role. I paid them directly like a freelance actor 
and the agent misses out on commission. So that's how smart they are. But you know, that's well, it's, it's the truth, isn't it? So yeah, so that that's that's how I got two of the actors at least. But yeah, then there's the agencies and just uh, uh, one of the actors who I've worked with before, who's in this, Ashley. Uh, I said to her one of the other roles I was having trouble. Uh, casting was the role of Kendra, who has an OnlyFans page. Uh, <laughs> I had trouble casting that role because, again, the girls weren't sort of understanding the sort of outrageousness that was required. Uh, and uh, Ashley says to me, oh, there's a girl that I've worked with a lot. Uh, she's really funny and she's really quirky. I reckon she'd go well. So she put me in touch with Zoe, who then got the role. So, you know, I, I just do what i got to do to cast it, you know, and this took a long time, longer than usual and longer than I would have liked to cast it, but I got there eventually. So that was uh, that's all that matters. And at the end of the day, I'm really happy with the group that I've got. And I did make, as your original question did allude to, I did make a conscious effort to make sure they were a diverse group of looking women. I didn't want to have the stereotype looking woman all the way through because that would have been too much. You need a diverse group of looking women to make it work as well. I felt this seemed to apart from casting as well, you know, it seemed like there was a lot of challenges to make this film because with that many actors, it, with that many shots, I mean, you, you've got the wide shots, you've got like group shots, you've got the individual interviews. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of work. Yes. Yes, it is. There's no no doubt about that, Chris. Well, well observed, (laughs) but, um, so so there's uh, 77 scenes total and it goes for 42 minutes so it's without question the longest film i've ever done and it's also even though the wedding film had more people involved uh, the wedding film only had like that actor would just have two or three words or that actor would just have one sentence i was doing all the heavy lifting for the wedding film in regards to the on-screen dialogue whereas this one again when i was writing it uh, besides uh two of the actors who have more dialogue, I made sure everyone had around 200 to 250 words. That was a very conscious effort to make sure that it was very evenly spread with dialogue. So everyone has somewhere around the 200 to 250 word count, uh, which again means that it's a significant role that they have to play. Plus, as you point out, there's group scenes where everybody has to do things. And even when they're... uh, even when I am talking to a different actress, other actors are in the background and they need to be doing what they're doing. So there was a lot of rehearsal time and a lot of prep time that needed to go in. Uh, So a lot of organisational time uh, that needed to happen as well on my part. Uh, So, yeah, it was a very, very challenging and difficult film. Without question, the hardest film I've ever had to do. And we had a lot of spanners in the works. A lot of things went horribly wrong. Uh, a couple of even during the shoot day. Um, but yeah, I've had, I've had a lot of things uh, go down in the last six months that made this film. Uh, there were times where I thought oh, I'm, there's, I'm just not going to get this done, but uh, I got there and uh, very pleased, very, very pleased actually with the result. Yeah. I, I imagine too, going through something that challenging when you come out the other side, how do you think about upping the ante for the next project? <laughs> no no we'll uh we'll just see what i, I know what i'm gonna do next but uh it won't be uh look, look it's as always with me and beer nuts it's uh whatever project i can do at the time so 
at the beginning of the year, I had the budget to make Mr. Eligible, so I did, and it's the script that I wanted to make, so that's why I did it, because, uh, and now that it's done, I'm moving on to the next project, it was sort of like, um, I went through my scripts, and I'm like, oh, okay, yep, that one, I really want to do that one next, so it's not a, a case of trying to outdo myself, it's more a case of just uh, uh, sort of ticking them off, if that makes sense, it's kind of like i got a list of things I want to do and we'll just uh, tick them off one by one. It's like a big list of uh, projects and we'll just uh, get to each one when we get to them. Nice. So what I'm hearing you say, Goff, is you're more of a marathon runner than a weightlifter. So you're going for the distance, not necessarily for the bulk. Well, uh, it's, uh, yes, uh, I think uh, marathon, not a sprint is the, uh, is the phrase, but, uh, yes, I'm full of endurance and you make sure you spread the word to all the ladies that I'm full of endurance. <laughs> that was a cast off line from the script. You, you deleted that one a long time ago, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, there, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't much on the cutting room floor when it kept, like I say, uh, there was a, a lot of things that, I mean, there's so much scope to, to mock that sort of, uh, an industry that like even with the producer because you know the producer and one of the characters has an interesting dynamic and that was a fun thing to do because uh obviously i think people would be pretty naive to think that it's reality tv is actually reality so i think uh adding the producer in there and having him have a bit of a dynamic with one of the characters would have was a good thing to do and there was like there's so much that you can you can do like it's just uh yeah super fun yeah, and and speaking of having a lot of fun, everyone's favorite actor is in this, Al Gibson, and he plays the host. How you doing, Al? Nice to <laughs> nice to see you. And uh, there was a line that just cracked me up, and it's basically the hierarchy of reality TV host. It goes reality TV, infomercials, and then death. <laughs> Well, that's right. That's exactly how it works. You you start off being a gun actor or whatever it might be, and then as you get older and uh, someone replaces you, then you're on to reality TV show. And when when someone when that you get too old for that, then you're on to infomercials, and then it's time for the grave. You're you're finished. You're cooked. So that's the end. But yes, no, Al Al. Al was terrific. Al actually came in a bit later. So I originally had another Beer Nuts Productions favorite in uh, Craig Ingham was going to play the the host. Uh, he would have done a really, really good job because he's good with sort of caricature type acting. So he would have been fantastic as the host. But he had a couple of medical uh, procedures and he said to me about six weeks out, I'm not sure that I'm going to be okay to do the role. I thought that he probably would have recovered and he'd be fine. But I said to him, "Well, look, if you're not sure, then I'm not willing to take that risk, and I'll have to I'll have to replace you." And he said, "Okay, I think that's the sensible thing to do." He was very good about it. He like he was very mature actually in the way he handled the whole thing. I was really really happy that he came to me six weeks out instead of a week out. So you know, credit to Craig, one hundred percent. And so I'm like, "Oh shit, I've got to find a new host," and it's a big role. Like, there's a lot of dialogue there and a lot of rehearsing. So I contacted Al and said to Al, look, uh, can you do this particular role for me? I explained the situation to him. Uh, so I was very honest. And uh, he's like, yep, absolutely. And we did a few rehearsals leading up to it. 
uh, and he he crushed it to be honest. Like he he was absolutely fantastic. He gave it a different uh, nuance to what Craig because Craig would have been a lot bigger in how he would have delivered it, whereas Al is more sort of uh, subtle and ironic, I suppose, and very dry in the way he does it. And uh, it works. Like, he absolutely nailed it. It's 10 out of 10 to uh, Chris's favourite actor, Al. (laughs) 10 out of 10, Al. Good job. Uh, There was a line that cracked me up as well. Who would lie on reality TV? That's shocking. That's shocking. (laughs) Shocking. Everybody was shocked. Yeah, that was that was a good one. I actually wrote that down while I was watching it. I, I I make little notes when I watch your movies about things that make me laugh, and that was definitely one that cracked me up. Well, I, I look. For, I hope the list is a long one. I'll take a seat, and we'll go through everything individually. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I also wrote down was I loved how you introduced the epic twist with like the music and. Because normally you don't put music throughout the film. You put them in key moments of the film or the beginning and the end. So having you know the music kind of build the anticipation for the intruder, that, that was a pretty funny moment too. Yeah, well, again, so I needed – I mean, if you watch those shows uh, and you – well, again, even on the promos, you can tell the outrageously over-the-top music that they use that – is like like the epic twist is and if by the way i I used all the phrases that i hate in this film (laughs) so like the like the phrase game changer anybody who says the word game changer needs a bullet between the eyes it's the (laughs) it's just it's the worst and so i made sure that phrase got used because this will be a game changer. like i mean come on so the you know all the phrases that i hate so when al's obviously uh you know, introducing something, he goes so over the top like they all do, and you need music that's obviously going to match that. So it had to be the most overdramatic music I could possibly get my hands on, which is what I think I managed to do because the music is sensational. So, yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned the phrases because there was another phrase that I heard. We're on a journey. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Phrase You used it in that film too. We're on a journey. Yeah, well, that, that's that's another one that they love. I actually, uh, so there's a friend of mine who's a psychologist. I'm sure I've spoken about Donna before on your program because uh, I used to rent from her and whatnot with the, my office space, and I've used her house in films and whatnot. So we're good friends, and uh, she loves the reality TV shows because she enjoys watching them on a psychology level. Uh, she enjoys it that way. So uh, for her birthday a couple of years ago, I got her a coffee mug and it's got the rose from The Bachelor on the coffee mug and just Journey in big letters written across the <laughs> coffee mug. So, yeah, that is that is a, a f- favourite uh, phrase that they use, a favourite word that they use is Journey. So, of course, I made sure that got ticked off, so that needed to get used as well, the phrase Journey, absolutely. So what did Donna think of this film? Well, uh, I haven't got a review from her yet, but I did get a text message only yesterday saying, uh, I have watched the film and you are lying. You've been watching The Bachelor all along. So that's all I've had so far. But there'll be an email from her eventually with a uh, long-winded review, I'm sure, because she does send me uh, uh, some helpful feedback and reviews, does Donna? So, yes. What a fantastic review for the website, too, because it's like that's the first thing that I want to see when I'm figuring out whether I want to buy this film or not. 
<laughs> I'm not saying that snarkily. I'm like, that's actually a great review. You're lying, Gong. <laughs> Who would lie on reality TV? I'm sure. Hey, what? It's shocking. It's shocking. shocked. So another thing that I wrote down was the line in the, when they're introducing you to the girls in, in the room. And they say that you have adoring fans all over the world. And, and I, I felt, I, I felt seen in that moment that, that <laughs> I could be in a beer nuts productions film, just in that one line, of course, I'm projecting, <laughs> but what, what message do you have for your adoring fans all over the world? Well, Chris, being as you're it, uh, I'd, I'd like to say, uh, thank you for being forced to watch my films. <laughs> through having me on your podcast <laughs> it doesn't feel forced because every every time i watch him i learn something new i have a good laugh and then i end up having a good conversation with you so just keep well, making movies well, I, i'm curious as to what you learned from mr eligible you know, for me, it w I, I was paying attention to how you filmed the group scenes, of course, and 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 I was trying to think how you managed all of the audio because you have mics on each of them. And then uh, I really liked how you lit and filmed the individual interviews. They had a nice. really good look. It, it kind of made me think of that Formula F1 show on Netflix because they kind oh, of yes. a similar look. Yes. Well, uh, again, so I went up to Scott, the production man. I said, we need a, to build, like that was just done in the corner of the actual uh, cocktail party room that we filmed in because we filmed it all in one day like I always do. So um, the start, obvious, of, well, obviously we did the four little cutaway house shots. Well, actually only three made it because we actually had a problem with the camera. So only three made it. We had to replace the other one with photos. But um, uh, yeah, so we did the house stuff in the morning. Then we got to the main place at 12 uh scott was given i said to scott during beforehand obviously i said there's going to be a studio set up so what you need to get ready is i said you need a black curtain and you need something obviously to hang it off and i'll bring in a few chairs and we'll just light it and make a little studio set up in the corner of the room which is what we did and then we filmed all of that and then cleaned that away and then uh, there's two bathroom scenes obviously did them and then, yes, uh, and again, it's all about organisation. So, obviously, I had three makeup artists. And so uh, while uh, one lady was doing her studio bit, obviously the makeup artists are working on, you know, each individual lady. So we just sort of rotate them through so that nobody's time is being wasted. So while one is getting their – well, three are getting their makeup done, one's in the chair and so forth and so on. And then, yeah, the room was already set up for me before I went in. Obviously, I'd organize that ahead of time. And then, yeah, we uh, we went in and we just uh, uh, filmed like crazy. Again, it was a lot of uh, I have everything very because I'm anally organized. I have everything uh, very much organized to the nth degree so that everybody knew what they needed to do at every given moment. And uh, we uh, we knocked it out and got out of there at 10 p.m., which uh, the staff were very pleased of because they actually – I had to be out by 10 p.m. and we were out at 9:57, so I got there only just. So yeah, but I got there. That's so impressive. Like, do you have like a spreadsheet with everything listed out in terms of the scenes, and have someone keeping track of what you filmed to make sure that you don't miss anything? Well, 
uh, not a spreadsheet per se. I'm old school. I just type everything in Word in a list format uh, because, again, certain things like I have things written down uh, that wouldn't necessarily go into a spreadsheet, I suppose, because they're individual notes for scenes or little reminders for me or things like that. Like even to the point of obviously every lady had so <laughs> when we when we started, uh, I told them all that they would have a designated seat. So when we got to the filming the main cocktail party stuff, I walked around and I said, all right, this is now your house. This is where you live. And then went round and said, you know, uh, you're on that seat, you're on that seat, you're on that seat. Now, obviously, during the course of the thing, people needed to change chairs. So I had that all written down. So when we would finish a scene, I had it written down that, for example, Megan, you're now going to sit at table three and uh, Abby, you're moving to table two and I need Taylor over to table one. So all of that was written down in advance, like all of that was organised. So I've got Mel that sort of helps me out a little bit. So she has a copy of that as well to make sure I don't make any mistakes. And also she's like in charge of the, the clacker board and helping out in that regard and making sure everything's where it needs to be. And then I've got Pete, who helps out Scott with the picking up the equipment, moving the gear to where it needs to be. And then obviously, yeah, I say to Scott, this is what we're filming. This is how we're filming it. Do it. And that's how it goes. So, yeah. Like, are you filming an or like lot from start to finish in order? Uh, not usually with this one, obviously. So all the studio stuff was done first. Okay. Uh, then with this one, uh, for the most part, yes. Uh, at the end, we couldn't because obviously Zoe needed to get changed into a cheerleader's outfit. So uh, that was the very last scene that we filmed was Zoe in the cheerleader outfit. Uh, and then um, so a few scenes obviously went ahead of that. So, yeah, but very rarely do, do I film like uh, in, in that sort of way. I did that on purpose this time around, like filming it in predominantly the right order to help the actors. Uh, to stop confusion because i mean ideally it would have like there's there's an ottoman right in the in the corner of the room there's an ottoman where people sit down and can talk and there's about four scenes that are situated on the ottoman now usually what you would do is film those four scenes in a row so you don't have to move any of the equipment but i didn't do that this time around because i felt that i didn't want to confuse the actors too much in where they needed to be and what they needed to do i thought it would be easier for them if i kept it in some kind of a script order so they knew what was going on so that probably added a little bit of time to it moving the equipment back and forth like we did but i think it was the best way to do it to make sure that the actors were focused and knew what was going on and that there was no confusion uh, in that regard awesome well, this is a new segment of the show, Secrets Behind the Scenes. And so I want you to spill all of the dirt on what the wine actually was <laughs> and what your on-set brand of cocaine was. <laughs> uh, the cocaine was protein powder. Uh, so I like going to the gym, so I got some protein powder in the cupboard. So I just put some protein powder in a sandwich bag and off you go. But the funny part was uh, Lauren and uh, Ashley, who were the two actors who were, were indulging in such behaviours, aren't ones in real life to get amongst that sort of uh, crazy behaviour. So um, 
if you have a look really carefully, they're the worst cut lines of cocaine you will ever see. Ever. They're so fat they would they would kill a, a, a they would tranquilize a horse. It was just it was nuts. Like uh, I, I said to him, you've got to keep them nice and thin. But we'd never got a time. So after like the second take, I'm like, oh fuck, it really doesn't matter. So uh, that's uh, that's what we did. But um, yeah, so uh, the the cocaine was protein powder. And the wine was actually non-alcoholic wine, but it was apparently oh shit! I, I didn't supply it. That was part of the deal with the uh, with Palmer Golf. Um, I said to Simon, who runs the establishment there, I'm like, I need a case of non-alcoholic white wine, and he's like, Yeah, no worries. And he sent me a text the day before, and he said, I've got you. It was something I've never even heard of, like apple wine vinegar something or other. And I said, Yeah, no, that'll be fine. Whatever, I don't care. Because he said to me, do you want me to chill it? I said, no, no, no. I said, I want it to be the cheapest, nastiest shit you can find so that the actors won't actually drink it. So it looked like apple juice and it looked gross. So, <laughs> yeah, so it is actually like non-alcoholic wine, but it's like the cheapest, <laughs> nastiest version of it. And the other like, he's like, do you want me to chill it? I'm like, no, no, I'll just keep it warm in the corners. Fine. Because, again, I didn't want the actors drinking it because we only had a certain amount. And if some of them go, oh, this is a bit yummy, they'd, uh, you know, get it down and all of a sudden we're out of bloody wine. So got to uh, make sure that, uh, you know, you got to be shrewd and smart about these things. That's right. Because not only are you the actor in the film, but you are the director and producer. So you're you're keeping an eye on everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly right. You know, you gotta and plus you give these actors an inch, they'll take a mile. So you know, you gotta gotta keep them in line. So speaking of giving an inch and taking a mile, what what is your take on AI and and using those tools in in film production? Well, it depends. So uh, I understand obviously the actors, the the actors, the writers are on strike at the moment, and one of their key demands is that obviously they don't lose their jobs and chat GPT doesn't take their jobs away from them, which I think is a very reasonable request. Uh, and why people wouldn't agree to that. I don't know because it, it seems very reasonable. So it was funny, actually, uh, I was chatting to Ashley again, one of the actors in the film, and we were talking about this exact thing and she was almost pro. And I'm like, no, 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 you, you don't understand. I said, you know, the only person, who can write a beer nuts production script? You know who that is? And she's like, who? I said, it's me. I'm the only person who can do what I can do. No one else can do what I can do, just me. So no computer or AI, no matter how good it is, can come can predict the kind of nonsense that's going to come out of my brain. That's a very individualized type thing. So uh, I think in regards to writing, it should be left well alone. Um I'm sure in production it can be handy for some things. I mean, you know, I mean, technology is being used in regards to, I mean, to advance films that we watch, uh, even like on sets. I mean, like things like cranes, like camera cranes and stuff like that. Like it would be very handy if, uh, like, like uh, Suri with an iPhone, for example, it would be very handy if we could just ask, Let's call him uh, Bob, the computer crewman. If we said, hey, Bob, can you uh, move five degrees to the right? And it just automatically does it for you. That would be 
a handy thing to have. Now, the crew probably wouldn't be overly thrilled about that because, again, it's probably putting a crew member out of a job and that's not good. But, I mean, swings and roundabouts. But, um, you know, I, I think if it's used judiciously, it can be helpful. But there's certain things that it absolutely should not be used in. Uh, and I think to replace writers, to replace, you know, key people like writers, directors, actors, things like that, that's it's definitely not helpful. Uh, what would be your thoughts, Chris? I like what you're saying about how you're the only one that can write the scripts. And it makes me think of how important it is as a writer or in any content creator to have that unique point of view so that you can't be replaced. Um, I think there's certain tools that will help you fulfill that vision, but unless you have that special form of insanity in your brain, uh, you're just going to get lost in the sea of, of sameness. Oh, no, I, I agree entirely. So the script writing program that I use, for example, speaks to me. So without that, I mean, I think I would be in a little bit of trouble to do my writing uh, well. So, I mean, that's the form, I suppose, of AI because I click on the play button and, and it reads the script to me. So that is very helpful to me. So that part of technology is super helpful. Now, it, it can't, as you say, and I agree, it can't replace me. I, I, I saw an interview on Conan with Billy Corgan and he said, uh, apparently someone has made Kurt Cobain sing Today by the Smashing Pumpkins. And Conan said, are you interested in listening to it? And he said, no, it's a parlor trick. I have no interest in parlor tricks. I just want to witness real proper art. So, and it's the same with like uh, physical artists with paintings and sketches and stuff and music, that sort of art and film. I mean, the the individual creativity should never, ever be replaced. It can be, as you say, and as I, I agree with, there's things you can use to help you, uh, but it, it should never actually be replaced by artificial because it will never, ever be as good. It just can't be because what the human brain can come up with is original and unique. You know, it's interesting. I, I When you said that your program reads your script back to you, that is an excellent way of knowing if a joke lands, because if an if an emotionless voice can land a joke that you wrote, you know, it's going to be funny in the hands of a talented actor. No, no, 110 percent. So Working Dog, which is a production company here in Australia who have made some amazing uh, Australian content. Uh, what There's uh, four of them uh, essentially in Working Dog. And so I actually spoke with Rob Sitch, who's kind of the head honcho of working dog and he uh when you imdb him because he'll have to be in your show notes now rob sitch because i've said it and you are the most uh, uh you're the best person i know with show notes you just it's insane how many show notes there are with all the nonsense that we talk about anyway so uh i actually had a conversation he was very gracious and very nice rob sitch because this is years ago before i'd even made my first film and uh, he i was talking to him about writing and he said what they do is uh, when they write a script for a film or a TV se series, he said they'll sit around, uh, the four of them will sit around, they'll give each other three or four roles each, and they'll sit around the table and they'll read the script out loud. And that will determine what's funny and what's not funny. Now, I inadvertently 
have been doing that for years because, as you rightly say, the computer will just read it to me in a in a very bland, normal voice. But again, I can tell what's making sense and what doesn't make sense and what's funny and what's not funny by having it read back to me. So it's actually really great advice for young writers out there is to actually read their work out loud or have someone read their work out loud back to them and then they'll get a sense of what it's sounding like and so what it's going to sound like when it actually gets produced. They'll, they'll have a sense of that as they're writing because what something sounds like in your head is very different to what it's going to sound like when it's actually spoken out loud some of the time. Some of the times. I mean, you're just describing my podcast. You know, it always sounds better <laughs> in my head. <laughs> yes, I, I'm always expecting uh, witty repartee and sparkling questions, and then this is what I get. I know. I, you know, when when you've talked to someone like 15, 16, 17 times, you kind of lose track of the questions that you've asked over the years. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 you do a very good job. I only repeat myself uh, occasionally, so it's totally fine. I'm, I'm only teasing. I'm only teasing. So let's get back to this list of things you like about my film. Because you were only up to about number three, and surely there's uh, there's like thirty eight of things on on that list. Well, I ran out of time. Because <laughs> I'm very fu- I mean, hey, I'm in the entertainment industry. I'm incredibly vain and insist on compliments. <laughs> well, I'm not in the entertainment industry, so you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm. Why did why did Goff ever come back? <laughs> <laughs> never came back to getting work to work. <laughs> so are, are you watching anything that you're loving right now? Uh, that's a very fine question. Uh, what I, you, you know, uh, what I think is a underrated, uh, um, supplier of entertainment, uh, is Apple TV actually have some quite good programs under their comedy section on Apple TV. Uh, I'm quite, uh, happily surprised uh, at what Apple TV is providing currently in regards to their comedy content. So uh, they've got some really cool series uh, in the cinema. Uh, the English actually do it really well in regards to uh, the um, true stories of the underdog becoming a hero type thing. I reckon the English do that better than most. And I saw one the other day called Bank of Dave, which um, you'll be able to look up the trailer. Uh, I doubt it got much of a cinema play in America, uh, but you'd probably be able to find it somewhere. But it was very, very good. And again, it's a true story about a guy who didn't like the way the banking system was working in the UK. So he decided to open his own bank and called it the Bank of Dave because his name was Dave. Uh, it's very a very English thing to do, uh, but it's cool. It's, it was a the, like I say, the uh, I think I've already uh, chatted to you a little while ago. It might have been on our last chat. There was another one called Phantom of the Open, which was about an English guy who wanted to uh, go into the British Golf Open and how he, he uh, managed to sort of scam his way into that and became a bit of a celebrity by doing it. So the English do that sort of a genre incredibly well, I reckon. Uh, so whenever I see a true story... Uh, made by English filmmakers of like a down-on-his-luck person making good, I always know that it's going to be an entertaining because they're very good at mixing the comedy and the pathos and all that sort of stuff that you need to make that work. Uh, they're very, very good. And also finding 
the unique and wonderful stories that happen in real life and turning it into an entertaining piece of cinema. So, uh, yeah, the English do have a, a, a knack for, for doing that very well. But, yeah, Bank of Dave was very entertaining at the cinema. So that, there's one for you. Fantastic. I'll have to check that out because, you know, there's only so many superhero <laughs> films that one can watch in this lifetime. So I think I've hit my I, quota I think, for um, my life. Uh, Pete, my uh, production assistant, he's desperate for me to make a sci-fi film. And he announced, this is actually very humorous work, in front of at least half of these very attractive young women who were in uh, Mr. Eligible, he announced to everybody that it would be really easy for Goff to make a, a sci-fi film. All he needs is a really hot chick and a couple of laser guns. So... <laughs> That was Pete's wonderful suggestion. And uh, to her credit, one of the ladies puts her hands up and goes, I'll do it. So, you know, there we go. It's already cast. So, you know. <laughs> Did you fire Pete after that? It's, it's funny, actually, because I've known Pete for a very long time. Uh, he'll say something or do something, and I'll turn to him and I'll say, you're sacked. And he'll say, good. And I say, you make a good point. You're hired back with benefits. And he says, damn. So that's that's our standard joke. That is a good joke. Well, on that note, Goff, what closing words of wisdom do you have for Mr. Al Gibson, who's still listening to this episode, wondering if we would mention him again? Al, Al needs to be a, a, a more professional actor on set and uh, and ha be, be willing to take a pay cut. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Al, Al's a very, very <laughs> fine actor. And he's a great man to work with. He's very, actually, in all seriousness, he is very easygoing and very easy to work with. I just give him the script. Uh, he'll always ask, because his uh, background is in voiceover work, so he'll always ask, is there somebody or something I want him to base it on? Because he works better if he has uh, an example of something or someone to, to go with. And so I'll give him what I think is a good uh, example. And then he'll go away. And when he comes back to rehearsal, uh, he needs very little direction. He pretty much has it straight off, straight away. So he's a very easy and accommodating actor to work with. So I do enjoy working with Al. So I think you'll probably see him in coming Beer Nuts films, which you'll be very pleased about, Chris. Absolutely. Well, speaking of easy and accommodating, please tell the lovely listeners where they can buy your propaganda films and all of the forms of hilarity that you spread across the world. Absolutely. So uh, beernutsproductions.com is your one-stop shop. So this is our 28th film. So you can watch all of the films, but especially Mr. Eligible at beernutsproductions.com. Uh, obviously, we're on all the social medias. Uh, you'll see trailers and behind-the-scenes stuff on YouTube and obviously on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. So you just have to type in Beernuts Productions. And we will come up, and that uh, that is how you can be entertained for minutes on end. Minutes on end. 28 films. That is that is quite an impressive body of work, my friend. Yes, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm quite proud of it, to be honest. I, you know, and then you've got the audio downloads as well, the podcast, uh, a couple of little fun little books and stuff there as well. So there is plenty up there. It's, it's quite a catalog now. That was uh, at the beginning of the year, actually. We actually had to get a new server with bigger space because the website is actually so big now uh, that we uh, we were rapidly running out of space. 
So uh, that cost me an exorbitant amount of money So um, to, to do that. Uh, but, you know, that's just part of having a business. I Look, I, uh, I was a bit uh, uh, down about that for a very short time, and then I realised it's actually a good thing because it shows that obviously I'm producing lots of content. So to expand is actually a positive, not a negative. So I was uh, I was looking at it in the wrong way. But um, yeah, so there, there's tons up on the website now to keep people entertained. It's a, a bigger, bigger expanding universe is the Beer Nuts universe. That's right. You're independently, fiercely independent and growing leaps and bounds across all oceans in all directions. The Marvel Universe only wishes it could be as big and as and as outrageous as the Beanuts Productions Universe. <laughs> On that note, Goff, before we get struck by Thor's lightning bolts, thank you so much for coming and, and sharing about your film. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Ah, well, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, Chris. Thank you again for having me on. I really do appreciate it. Be sure to head to the online digital global factory of fun, laughter, malarkey, and shenanigans, otherwise known as BeerNutsProductions.com, to download Mr. Eligible and many, 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 many more films, audio downloads, books, and of course, podcasts. It's always a good day when you can support independent media producers all over the world. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.